seated. I invite you to turn with me to um, Romans uh, chapter 15. Uh, we'll start at verse 14, a verse that we should be familiar with by now, but continue on uh, to verse 21. Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 14 to 21. This is God's glorious word that you will see um, echoes many of the thoughts from Isaiah 66. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to, to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I made it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, uh, those who have never uh, been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will Understand. This is the reading of God's holy and lovely word. Well, we come at this point in Romans to the end of the lovely doctrinal teaching uh, and the application to the life uh, that we see in chapters 12, 13, 14, and early part of 15. We come to the end of that and we begin an autobiographical section that extends through the, uh, through the rest of the book, Paul talking about himself, his life, his purposes. And it is a framework. Uh, the framework, this is part, uh, part B of the framework. The first part is in the first chapter, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through, um, 1 through 17. And, and then Paul picks up here in chapter 15, uh, verse 14, extending to the, to the end of the book, where he is describing things no longer theologically and in terms of application, but he's sharing his own heart, his heart being infused with the gospel of grace. This is an autobiographical frame on both sides, and there are sharp parallels in each of those sides of that frame. 
Uh, Paul in chapter 1 begins with describing himself as an apostle to the Gentiles. And here in the end, he speaks of reaping a harvest among the outsiders, the Gentiles. In the beginning, he says, he, sa- he prays for the Romans. And in the end, he says, Romans, will you pray for me? I'm desperate for your prayers. I earnestly entreat you to do that. And he says at the beginning, I am called to preach the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. It is the power of God unto salvation. And here in the end, he says, it is my ambition to preach the gospel, not only with it to you in Rome, but beyond to those in Spain, as far away as Spain as well. The love of God for the lost burns in Paul's heart. It throbs in his missionary heart. God lit a fire in him for his glory. And we pray, not just in admiration of Paul's fire, but we pray that the Spirit would ignite and fan the fire that is in us as well. That the gospel would shape our lives and the life and ministry of our church. And my theme uh, this morning uh, is to take the example of Paul and to see how it works out for us too. That our ministry of the gospel would follow Paul's example in purpose, in power, and in plan. That our following Paul's example, we would do so in terms of purpose, of power, and of plan. Purpose is is beautifully mentioned not only here, but also in Isaiah 66. uh, that, uh, That Paul, through his ministry, would be making living sacrifices holy unto God. That's, that's his mission, to make sacrifices in his own life and service as he works among Gentiles, and that the Gentiles themselves would then also be living sacrifices where God has called them. For Paul, the gospel ministry, listen to this, this is the only place this is mentioned in all of Paul's writings. Here, Paul says, the gospel ministry is a priestly ministry. Now, when we think of a priest, we think of someone who is robed and goes periodically into the temple, and once a year, one will go into the most holy place in the presence of God, and there will be sacrifices and offerings and so forth, and prayers lifted up, those sweet-smelling sacrifices to God. And, of course, all of those offerings are representing the offerings of Christ for our sins, certainly. And so Paul here is a priest striving to present people as holy sacrifices to God. Paul is striving to sacrifice or offer people as living sacrifices to God. Now, now I want you to think about why it is that you're here today. <laughs> okay. Those of you who are watching on TV, why are, you, why are you doing that? You in the fellowship hall, why are you here? 
Uh, some people come to church out of habit. And it's a good habit, a very good habit. It should be a little bit more than that, though. Uh, some of you are here because your parents bring you. Or you are here as adults because you think your children need to be here. Perhaps some people are here because they think it will help seal a spot in heaven when they die. A little sort of a bargaining uh, arrangement with God. Others think that if they come to church and seek to be good Christians, that they will be guaranteed God's, their best life now. Their best life now. The best God could do for them. But Paul's purpose, as, as a priestly pastor, and our purpose as priestly pastors here, and your purpose as a child of God uh, is that you um, would be a living sacrifice. And we can even say that the rest of the book of Romans that we've read um, has, has designed to fatten us up by the gospel to be nice, plump, living sacrifices. Remember what chapter 12 says, by the mercies of God. I beseech you by the mercies of God to present your bodies, heart, soul, mind, and body, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. That's God's purpose for you to be a living sacrifice. Now, as we think through the book of Romans, we, we can summarize it perhaps in a number of diff- different places, but I, I'm going to take one verse, chapter 5, verse 8, and say that this is, a, this is a reasonable summary of the whole book, and it is this, that God shows his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For whom? Uh, whom, whom does, who does Christ love? Or who does God love? He loves those who are weak. Have no ability to come to him on their own. He loves this cha- passage, verse chapter 5, also says the ungodly. Those who have no interest in God, but in fact are idolaters. And it thirdly describes these sinners, ourselves, as enemies. Haters of God. Christ died for us. Christ offered up for us. So, of course, of course, we'll be living sacrifices for him. Living sacrifices, living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. Uh, John Owen describes um, holiness this way in one place. Holiness is nothing but the implanting, writing, and realizing the gospel in our lives. The Holy Spirit plants God's seed in us in regeneration. The Holy Spirit then wires our hearts to love God and His law And the Holy Spirit then brings that law to life in us and through us 
as, as living sacrifices. We naturally, our minds naturally go, what is the heart of the holiness? What is the heart of the Christian life? Well, it must be my obedience to the law. And we think of ourselves oftentimes as having very few resources to be able to do that. But the heart of holiness is knowing God's work, planting the seed in us, and wiring our hearts, writing the law on our hearts, and bringing the gospel to life in us. It is knowing your helplessness. It is knowing that so much that you cast yourself not once every week or month, but daily upon Jesus for help to be able to live that honorable, holy life. You're casting yourself daily on Jesus, who Paul would say in Romans 7, who will, who will rescue me from the body of death, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's, it's not enough that the preacher preaches the gospel the congregation preaches the gospel of grace too. The grace of God produces gospel preachers and gospel churches. And we don't just talk a lot about grace here. We actually know that we need it and God provides it. And so we are offered up then as whole burnt offerings. And there is cost to, the, to that. The whole burnt offering in the Old Testament was consumed, every bit of it, consumed on the altar. And we too put our old self to death and live for God. And when one, when a person or a church climbs onto that altar, it produces an aroma and an atmosphere that you get nowhere else in this world. That, that bracing honesty, self-honesty and honesty with God. I know I'm a sinner, but I also know that my Savior is even a bigger Savior than I am a sinner. And there is a culture then of spiritual freedom as well as emotional health. And it's a wonderful thing. It is people in need of help. Helping people in need of help. And that's really what we've been talking about in chapter 15, verse 14, the last several weeks. But it's more extensive now. I want you to think about this. If you are a spiritual, a spiritual and a living sacrifice, if you're a living sacrifice, everything you do, everything you do is an offering to God. Think of it. You, you may not get recognition you may not get commendation. There may be no one to pat you on the back when you send that email or that text to someone who is, is not here and you, you want, you're wondering how they're doing. You want to encourage them. Nobody sees it. It is, it is simply and purely a sacrifice to God. Sharing the gospel with someone who blows you off. It's an offering to God. Well, we follow Paul's example, secondly, in terms of power. Uh, Paul here boasts in Christ, 
And when you boast in something, it shows that you, you have great respect and honor for it. And he boasts in Christ, and he shows that Christ is all-powerful. And, and Paul was... Paul was a boaster. Um, he, 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 is, uh, he is well known for some boasting. I, I, you, may, you may wish to turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians 12, or 2 Corinthians um, uh, 11. And I want to pick up there at verse 21, because this is where Paul does his, his, his strongest boasting in all of the scripture. Um, middle, of, middle of 21. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I've received um, at the hands of Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked at night and a day and adrift at sea on frequent journeys, journeys in danger of rivers, uh, uh, in danger of robbers, danger for my own people, and so forth and so forth. He goes on. And then he says, that, and, and uh, 28, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul boasted. He took every opportunity to boast in his own weakness so he could glory in Christ. Galatians 6, may I never boast except in Christ Jesus, my Lord. What does it mean for us then? It means we exalt in what Christ is doing, uh, even through clay pots. God is glorified uh, to change sinners through Sinners. He is glorified to bring the glory of the gospel of this Christ who died for sinners, whom God loved, to bring that message through broken people, cracked pots, so that it's not about us, but it's all about Him. We show off our clay because our clay magnifies God's glory. Paul didn't produce a holy church. Jesus does that. God changes sinners through sinners. Paul admits in 2 Corinthians 11 and elsewhere as well that we in the ministry um, bear a burden and anxiety. We get anxious. easy for us to pick up this sense that we are the ones who are supposed to be making people holy if we pray enough if we talk enough if we love enough if we admonish enough then people will change maybe not the timing is up to Christ we act sometimes as if it depended on us and that load can crush you Perhaps that's the way you parent your children. I don't know. That load is not to crush you either. Listen to these words from Jude. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Praise to our Savior Jesus. It is his power, not our own. You go on, however, in this text and you think, well, didn't the apostles have an unfair advantage over us? Paul here is described as as through the power of God, uh, having miracles, doing miracles, signs and wonders. And and isn't that an edge over what we do? Uh, We read, for example, in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, that these are signs of, of the apostles that were performed among you. Signs of true apostles that were performed. And we're not, we're not doing those things anymore. But listen to this. A sign is, is not God breaking in against nature, but showing a new normal of the kingdom of God, not as things, um, as things should be and will be. That's what a sign is. It's a breaking in of the kingdom of God to show something in this fallen world that will one day be visible for all to see. And those are truly wonders. The effect of people around who see these these things, well, they marvel at that. Something of God's future glory is now here among us. And that must be given only by God's power. So maybe that apostolic edge of the power of signs and wonders doesn't necessarily have to be that apostolic edge. Because we see the Spirit's power too. And we see signs of the age to come breaking in. Did you hear what I just said? We see, we see God's power too. And we see signs of the age to come breaking into our world, too. We see God changing people. We see God showing up to answer prayers of dear friends like Chad and Elise. Well, like our prayers for Chad and Elise. We see um, marriages and families that are restored where coldness gives way to gentleness. We see people going through suffering and they flourish. They do not give in to despair. They flourish. And, 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 and you see gentleness and humility in them. There is a brittleness in our society today. There, there is a, a, a socially just this is a very brittle and electric time all around us, and people at, at odds with those of other of other colors and countries and, disp- and and so forth. But in the Church of Jesus Christ, we see black and white knit together in beauty, in beauty. 
with a humble sense that there are things that we learn from each other. Never one way. It's a beautiful thing. These are miracles, people. These are signs and wonders of God's power. Now, because it's by God's power, our goal, if you want to put it this way, our goal in the church is not just decisions, but disciples. You heard what I'm saying? Uh, our goal in the church is not just decisions, but it's disciples. Uh, many people say, and I've witnessed to people just in the last few days, many people say, people say, oh, I believe in, in God, and I even believe in Jesus. And that's as far as it goes. And people water down belief to the level of mental assent. I agree with that. I'm, all, I'm with you there. Jesus is God. I believe in him. Let's, let's rethink that word belief. John Piper helps us with this, I think, in a beautiful way. I can't remember exactly what the words, but it's something like this. Uh, let's not just say, do you believe in Jesus? Are you satisfied in Jesus? Oh, oh. Certainly, certainly the New Testament asks a different question or another question. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Are you willing, are you willing to suffer for him? Let, let, me, let me read a part of a, um, a prayer letter from my good friend, Mike. I'm not even going to name his last name, and I'm not even going to say where this comes from. Why don't we just call it a large, a large, a huge country in the Far East, okay? This is what Mike is writing about the ministry in that area. Dear comrades in arms, peace. What happened today made me and the brothers and sisters in the church once again experience the power of God's gospel. It stands to reason that Christians are a little scared by nature when they are arrested, but there are still people who are going to be baptized and converted. It's amazing! Today, a police department um, level manager who had been studying for more than a year and a half in an inquirer's class was very eager to be baptized and converted to the Lord after membership interviews. So we organized a small worship service of more than a dozen brothers to baptize him and administer the Lord's Supper. Thank God. When I asked him, when I asked him uh, today, Brother YJ, I'm just going to give you the initials. Uh, today, Brother YJ is still detained by the police at the station. Are you ready? As a Christian, you may lose your position and job because of your status. Are you ready? He answered with tears, saying he was ready. And we were all moved by the power of the gospel together. And once again, we're refreshed in our knowledge of the true and living God. Everyone embraced with tears. Share uh, today's service, what happened at today's service, and look forward to being inspired uh, by the gospel, to fight for the gospel together. And this, of course, is Paul's purpose here. We see in this text, his purpose is to bring about, uh, to, to bring the Gentiles to obedience. To obedience, verse 18. 
Not just decisions, but discipleship. So kids, when I ask you a question directly, um, do you do you live for God? Do you live for God? Um, do you do you obey Jesus just because He loves you? Do you obey Jesus just because you love Him? Are you willing to suffer? because you follow him. That's being a living sacrifice by his power. The third P, and this is briefer, the third P is the plan. We'll be looking at this over the next uh, two weeks from now, the, the rest of Romans 15. We'll just touch on it right now. Paul, Paul had to go where no one else had been. Uh, Paul, Paul covered a 1,400-mile arc uh, around the, the eastern edge and then the northern edge of the Mediterranean Sea going in and out from Jerusalem there to Illyricum, which is in modern-day Croatia. He has eyes on Spain. He was going to the end of known civilization. He was going truly to the wild, wild west, to the outer edges of darkness, that new, that new territory for the light of Christ. He was going where no one had ever gone before to, to spread the gospel. This is what missionaries do. When David Livingstone was before the London Missionary Society, they talked about, well, where do you want to go, David? He said this, anywhere so long as it's forward. <laughs> anywhere so long as it's in the, in the, in the frontier, on the edge to bring light into dark places. But you know what? We're an established church in the U.S., been here for years and years. But it applies to us too. It applies to us to look beyond, to go beyond. That's the plan. Look beyond. Beyond the edges. We partner with missionaries, for example, in that big Far Eastern country, and we pray for them, and that's wonderful. We love doing that. It's important. We pray for, we're involved with firm foundations in Christ's ministry. We love that as well. Dr. Gardner had seen people, he had seen decisions for Christ that evaporated because they weren't discipled. He's got a tremendous discipling ministry where thousands of leaders are coming together to be taught how to disciple others. It is an amazing work of God. It is a fulfillment of Isaiah 66. But here too, in our um, established church, you don't need new geography to find and penetrate spiritual darkness. Do you hear me? You don't need new geography. <laughs> it's around us too. Wherever the church exists, it confronts and pushes back the kingdom of Satan. So I want to challenge you and your family to push out of the bubble, and here I'm not talking about the social bubble, okay? But to push out of the bubble with the power of the gospel. To be moving the bubble outward in some way. Will you bring the light of Jesus into nearby darkness? That's my question to you. Specifically, how will you bring 
the light of Jesus into the darkness around you. That's why I asked you us to pray and prayed earlier for the Crossroads ministry. That's one way that we're doing it as a church. And yet there are things that I need to do and am doing privately as well in terms of my own neighbors and boldness with family members. It starts with a heart of prayer and a heart of compassion. Growth groups, when you get ready to start up, will you be inviting others to taste the gospel along with you? one way to do it. One way to do it. You look in your neighborhoods, dear friends. Are there people that you'll be able to reach out to and invite into a conversation? An offering. A living sacrifice offering. Just talking to them for the sake of God. One woman um, in our church uh, confided in me that she, she, had been, she had committed to greet um, each delivery person that comes to her home. And she does it this way. She, asks, she asks, says to each one, how are you doing in this trying time? What a great question. How are you doing in this trying time? Well, not so good. Not so good. It's rough. And then, and then she delivers a, a little New Testament, a little a Gospel of John. And it, and it has the word hope on the front of it. She just gives it to him and said, read, read this. I think this will give you hope. And each person who has taken that Gospel of John has thanked her and been grateful for it. She told me recently that uh, she offered it to a guy uh, who came to delivering groceries and he said to her, you've already given it to me. <laughs> you already gave that to me. But I'll take another one. And will you pray for me? Reaching out, reaching out into this dark world with the message of peace and the light of Christ. So I end with just simply one, one question, simple question. Please prayerfully consider this as an individual, as a family. Where will you push the bubble, the gospel bubble, in your own community? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the beauty of your word. Um, thank you that um, it is so um, germane, so appropriate for us. We pray that each one of us here would, would come to Christ, not just with a decision, but in a purpose to be disciple, to be a disciple of Jesus. And we pray that um, as a people, as a congregation, um, our gospel bubble would be, would be always bumping outward. Just thank you for each person here. We marvel at the beauty of Christ. And we want to give you our hearts promptly and cheerfully in obedience, in joyful obedience. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Please let's stand.